0: We're about helping people find and follow Jesus. So we are going to conclude our series. I know it looks like Christmas here because it is Christmas time. But um, Jesus spoke on money. And so we're going to look one last time this series. What Jesus said about money and this sermon series we're calling Money Matters. Lord willing, next week we'll begin a brand new sermon series. And lo and behold, we'll be talking about Christmas. So hope you're here next week with us. But if you would open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 9 through 24, 19. um, A sermon I'm calling Four questions. And if you're wondering where I came up with that really difficult title, it's because I'm about to ask you four questions. (laughs) So maybe you've been with us through this message. Let me ask you this question. This is a prelude to the four questions, so this doesn't count. This is a bonus question for you, if you will. But if you've been with us, through these series, these three previous series, this is series sermon, excuse me, sermon number three. The question is, what have you learned? Have you heard something that you've never heard before? Just like this radical, and you think, man, that, that is amazing. Was there something that you've learned? How about this? Did you hear something that you have heard over and over again? Did you hear something you're like, man, I've heard pastors preach that a thousand times? Well, if you say yes to that question, are you doing that thing that you've heard pastors preach a thousand times? Because here's the truth. I think all the parents in the room are going to agree to this statement. You have to hear something over and over and over and begin before it finally sinks in. And all the parents say, okay, three of you, hey, got to make the coffee a little stronger. <laughs> it's been said that you have to repeat something a minimum of 30 times before you can truly remember it. But then it comes to what the Bible says about money. We hear a message one time a year and we just kind of move on, pretend like we, we never even heard that, right? It's also been said that you have to do something for more than two months, putting it into practice before it becomes a habit in your life. To be exact, you have to do something for 66 consecutive days before it becomes an unconscious habit in your life. So why would we think it'd be any different when it comes to our money and our giving? Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to stop doing something you've done in your entire life? You don't have to raise your hands. I I know you have. Well, then if that's true, why would we think that starting something that we've resisted our entire salute would be any different? The, The message I bring you today, we're going to specifically look in what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It happened on a day when Jesus, he's on the, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and the, the topography of the grand, the land is such that he could have been on the, on the shore of, of the, of the lake and he could have preached and there could have been multitudes of people that could have heard every word he had to say. This message has some amazing parts that, that so many Christians we can recall at the drop of a hat. There's, there's this part of that message that's called the Beatitudes. This is where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is the sermon that includes where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are a light uh, of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He also said in this same message, he said, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but fulfill them. And then he goes on to intensify the law. I think so many of us remember that. It was on this hill that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray when he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it in heaven. It's in the same message that Jesus said, Judge not that you will not be judged for the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to measure you. The same message, Jesus said all this. And I believe that this is probably the greatest sermon, the greatest pastor, the greatest preacher ever preached. This is where it all occurred. And then sprinkled in there is this this part about money. And I'm pointing this out because so many of us, we can instant recall all the things that Jesus said before, but then we forget what Jesus said about money. We forget what Jesus said about giving. Do you know that Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject? Jesus spoke five times more about money and possessions than he did any other subject. Randy Alcorn said that 15% of everything Christ said relates to the topic of money and giving. That is more than when Jesus spoke about heaven and hell combined. I mean, that's really wild when you think about it. Jesus, the savior of all mankind, he came and there's a topic that he spoke more about heaven and hell. And that's giving money. The vast majority of what Jesus said, what he said had to do with our bank accounts. Somebody said that there are more than 2,300 verses in the Bible that, have, that talk about money. 11 out of 39 of Jesus' parables talk about money. One out of every 10 verses in the gospel speak about money. So many temptations and sin that Jesus addresses in this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount, he spoke about anger, he talked about lust, he talked about retaliation, anxiety, and others, and we remember all that. But then when it comes to our money, we tend to develop a case of amnesia. The love of money and materialism is easily hidden in our culture today. In fact, I would argue that it is not only promoted, but it is celebrated. If you love money and if you love material possessions, it has become an acceptable sin in our culture. Though it's acceptable in our culture, it clearly is not acceptable to Jesus. And since it's not acceptable to Jesus, maybe we should spend a little more time listening to what Jesus said when it comes to our our money. Maybe we should make sure that what we say about money lines up exactly with what Jesus said about money. Because I don't know about you. But I want to be on Jesus' side, not only on salvation, but on every single subject you can think of. So that being said, let me ask you some questions. And then we're going to look at what the Bible says. So hopefully how you would answer those questions lines up with the the Bible, how the Bible would answer those questions. I mean, if if the, if money is so important to Jesus that he spends that much time speaking about money, let's just spend just one more week talking about our, our, our money that God gives us. So here's question number one. You ready? Question number one, where do you store your treasures? Where do you store your treasures? Now this, yeah, that's where the question is, where do you put your money at? And some of you might say, well, I put it under my, my mattress, That's unanswered I don't know if that's a good answer And then somebody would say Well the bank account I think that's how many of us Would answer that question But let's listen to what Jesus Had to say about this Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 Jesus said Do not lay up for yourself Treasures on earth Where moth and rust destroy And where thieves break in and steal But Lay up for yourself Treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroys Or where thieves do not break in And steal So Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Well, because either our moth's going to eat it, rust's going to destroy it, or something's going to break into your house and they're going to steal it. So he says, don't do that. I know that's where we typically want to stick our treasures, but Jesus said, don't do that. And then there's this amazing contrast in verse 20. Jesus says, but, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The phrase lay up, it means store up. It can even be translated as hoard. I think most of us have probably seen the show on TV called Hoarders. In case you haven't seen that show, let me just kind of briefly tell you about that show where they send cameras into people's houses and they're, they're looking at all the stuff that they've accumulated and usually there's just this tiny pathway that winds through the house to get to point A to point B because there's this wall of what is essentially trash. Jesus says, don't make that the habit of your life. Don't hoard up stuff that in the end is going to be worthless. But please notice, Jesus isn't against hoarding. In fact, I would argue that Jesus is very pro hoarding. He's just pro hoarding the things that, the right things. And the things that Jesus would encourage us to hoard is nothing here on earth. Because we can accumulate stuff either here on earth or in heaven. If if God was to give you a spiritual EKG test, if, if God was to give you a spiritual heart test, what would that test reveal? Because we choose to focus either on the material, which is temporal, or we choose to focus on the spiritual, which is eternal. So where do you put your possessions? Where does your possessions rank in your priorities? Are you consumed with the here and now? Or are you hungry for more of God? Or maybe you're hungry for more of wealth. But that's the question. And let me say, Jesus is not making a suggestion here. Jesus isn't making this, hey, you can take it or leave it, do with these words what you want. That's not what Jesus is saying because what Jesus said here is an imperative. It's in the mood of a command. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And he's making a point. And the point is, I think what Jesus is saying is don't be selfish. And I say that because one of the key words in what Jesus said there is yourself. Jesus is really condemning narcissism. He's he's condemning selfish ambition for possessions because many people seek after wealth. Many people seek after material possessions. Maybe we've been guilty of that. And we do that, people do that, we do that because we want to be happy, right? But here's the problem with this line of thinking. Things don't make you happy. Celebrities, sports figures, they have lots of money, but most of them are miserable, I mean, turn on most any reality TV show, you will see people that have more wealth than all of us in this room combined, and yet they are fighting like cats and dogs. They are searching, they're seeking for purpose and significance, and they're trying to fill this void in their life with stuff. Blaise Pascal, he famously said that every single one of us has a God-shaped vacuum in our heart, and we try to fill it with all kinds of things. And the only thing that can properly fill this void is Christ. Christ. Because if things brought us happiness, the truth is we should all be the happiest people in the world. Because every single one of us in this room today, streaming online for the most part, we're more wealthy than the vast majority of the world. But stuff will never satisfy you. We've all experienced this dissatisfaction. You don't need to raise your hands, but have you ever bought a car and then soon became dissatisfied with that car? Like, oh man, I wish I would have bought this other car. Man, I really need this other new car. Or maybe you buy a new gadget, this new phone, and then it's so satisfying for a little bit, and then a the new gadget comes out. this smaller, sleeker, has some other feature that your device doesn't have, and now you want to replace your new gadget with an even newer gadget. Or maybe you bought a house, and that house was so amazing in the moment, but then you have kids, and then now your house isn't so new, and you need a bigger house, Right? You, you said that, that that's us Those treasures were wonderful and they brought satisfaction in the moment But then over time they become old and dated and then you end up giving it away or maybe you have a yard sale You sell what used to be your treasures. It's weird how your trash becomes somebody else's treasure at your yard sale That's weird But don't make this habit of your life. Why because earthly treasures are temporal Either a moth is going to eat it rust going to destroy it or someone's going to break in your house and take it anyways during the first century, when Jesus said this, most people didn't put their money into a bank account like we do today. They, they, they were, they, most people invested in either precious metals or, or clothing or grain or, or land. Earthly treasures, they're all temporal. They're not going to last. I think that most of us will agree with this, but we protect what's important to us, Right? We put alarms on our cars, we put alarms on our homes We have insurance for everything under the sun, right? We all ins- we insure what's important to us And we do that because we don't want to lose those treasures But well, we're going to lo- leave it all one day I have done a lot of funerals in my time as a pastor Never not once have i ever seen a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse I've never seen that When somebody dies, they're always somebody whispering going How much did they leave? I'll tell you how much they leave? They, le- they left it all I heard a story of an old man. He, w- he was dying. And on his deathbed, he called his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer to his deathbed. And he said, You know, I've heard it said that you can't take it with you. He says, I'm bound to determine to prove that to be false. So he says, I've got an, an envelope for each one of you men. And inside this envelope, there's $100,000. This is what I want you to do. As I lower my casket below the grave, the, the ground, I want you to open my casket and throw the envelope in. Well, the day came where he finally died at his graveside. Those three men gathered, and they all three did exactly as the the old man had said. It was at the reception later, the three men sat at a table together talking about what had happened, and finally, it was the pastor that broke down first. He said, I can't take anymore, guys. I got to confess to you. He he told me to throw the envelope in, but the church has fallen on a hard time, so I took out 25,000. I only threw in 75,000. And it was the, the doctor that spoke up next. He says, "Oh, you're, I did something similar. My, I'm trying to build this, this, this clinic, and I didn't have enough money, so I took out 75,000, I only threw in 25,000 dollars." And it was the lawyer that spoke up and says, "You two men disgust me. I can't believe you would do something like that." He said, "I threw in a personal check for the full amount. Jesus warns us about this in the gospel of Luke. Read in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There is more to this life than acquiring material goods. Now, let me tell you, Jesus isn't against wealth. He's not. He's not. There's nothing wrong with wealth. My question is, do you have wealth or does your wealth have you? Job was a man in the Bible. He was incredibly wealthy. The Bible says that he was incredibly wealthy, but the Bible also said that Job was blameless and upright. And so there's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself. Maybe the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's read it together. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. The word of God says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here it is. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Many people misquote this and say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the love of money, that's what leads to destruction. The Bible says that there's uncertainty in riches. And I think if you have your retirement in the stock market, you would agree with that as of recently. I try not to even look anymore. It just makes me cry a little bit. But look what the Bible says about that in Proverbs 23 verse 4. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to detest. That when your eyes light upon it, it 's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings and flies like an eagle towards heaven, and we tell our kids all the time, money doesn 't grow on trees, or we say it's like this my money sprouts wings and just flies away." well that 's what the writer of Proverbs essentially says. Will Rogers famously said he said, "We buy things we don't need with money that we don 't have to impress people that we don 't even like isn't that true? We're trying to keep up with the Joneses only. The Joneses are refinancing. They got better credit than we do. So don't keep up with the Joneses. God wants us to give, but you know what? God also wants us to save. The writer of Proverbs says that the ant is our our little mental reminder to save. Look in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. The word of God says, go to the ant, O sluggard." Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So we're not only to give, but we're also to, to save the money that God gives us. And Jesus gives us this great contrast. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Earthly treasures, they're, they're temporal, we're heavenly treasures, they're eternal. Maybe you don't know this, but you need to know this. We cannot send a check onto heaven like that old man thought he could. You can't send cash to heaven. It's not going to work. When we exit this world, we cannot take anything with us. Every single one of us today, Lord willing, if he tarries, will die with empty hands. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? The Apostle Paul tells a young pastor by the name of Timothy how exactly to store up treasures in heaven. Look in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. The word of God says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, in order to store up treasures in heaven, you have to be rich in good works. We have to be generous. We have to be ready to share. And look what Paul said in that verse 19. He says, take a hold of that which is truly life. Pursuing the stuff of this world is not really living. It's just existing. Because if you really truly want to live, lay it for yourself, treasures in heaven Living isn't going after the next vacation. Living isn't going after the next thrill this life has to offer. Living life to its fullest can only be experienced when you're investing in the life that's to come after this one. We do this by investing in the things that are going to heaven. We do this by investing in all the things that are eternal. You want to know what's internal? Here's what's eternal. God, the word of God, and the souls of people. Those are the three things. And we invest in, the, in heaven when we invest in the souls of people. So here's my question. Are you investing your life into people? There's a principle that some people call the oikos principle. The word oikos is the Greek word that means household. This principle says that God has supernaturally placed anywhere from 8 to 15 people in your life for the ex- express, express purpose of you sharing the gospel with those individuals. The, the oikos principle is the most natural and common environment for evangelism occurs. That, that's the people that God has brought into your life and you share Christ's life-changing news that, that you're a sinner and you're separated from God, but yet He came and He died in your place. Are you sharing that with the people that God has brought into your life? That's your mission as a believer. To share the gospel with those individuals. That's where we take play, we take part in the Great Commission. Sharing the gospel. And all believers are to take the the Great Commission seriously. Every single one of us, we are to be investing in people. And I know we saw this video where there's millions of people, billions of people. But are you investing your life into that 8 to 15 people? We know the Great Commission is doable because Jesus said so. That's question number one. Here's question number two. Where's your heart? No, really, where is your heart? Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is another verse that gets misquoted all the time. People say it backwards. They say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. They wrongfully think that your treasure is going to follow your heart, but that's not true. The truth is your heart follows your treasure. And your heart refers to your affections, your whole inner person, the core of who you are. That's why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You show me where you invest your time, you show me where you invest your talents, your energy, your money, I'll show you exactly where your heart is at. Now your heart, it can be your family, your career, your sports, your recreation, your kids, and there's nothing wrong with those things. I would argue all, those are all really good things. But here's the question, does God come first? Now you say yes, but I challenge you to, to pull out your checkbook, to look where your treasure is, and that'll prove if that is true or not. I remember my very first car. Love that car. All my time went to washing it, scrubbing those wheels, making sure it looked good. Why? That's where my heart was at. I remember when I bought my first house, I I put my entire life savings at that time in that house. And guess what? All my time went to cleaning that house and fixing it up and making sure it was just right. Why? Because that's where all my treasure was. So, So I'm asking you, is your heart truly with God? And again, you can say yes, but if your time and your money isn't going to God, then you're proving that your heart isn't given to God. Now, how can I say something so matter-of-factly? Because Jesus said something so matter-of-factly. You know, the early church was terribly persecuted by the Roman Empire. And there was a story of a church that was meeting. And, and the Roman uh, army came. The officials, they busted down the door because they thought the church had some sort of treasures there. And so they asked the pastor, where's the treasure of the church? At the same time, there was a group of orphans that were eating at the, at the table. And the pastor just pointed to the orphans. Said, There. There's the treasure of the church. Because the treasure of the church is not a bank account. The treasure of the church is not a building. Church members that cherish buildings and budgets and bank accounts more than than people are just proving where their money's at or their heart is at. Their heart isn't with Jesus. You're putting your heart towards something that's going to rust away over time. The treasure of the church is people. And I hope you see the true treasure is the next generation that's going to rise up and take this banner of faith and continue to preach the gospel message so that more people will come to know Christ as their Savior. We are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven when we're investing in people's lives. So let me pause for a minute. Ladies, you have the next five minutes off from this sermon. I want to address the men in the room. Men, are you investing Are you serving in this church? I ask that question because statistically showing more women attend church than men. And so therefore, they're more involved in ministry. They're more involved giving their time and their their treasures to the church. Men, are you serving in church? If not, then why? We need men in children's ministry. We need men in youth ministry because young boys need a godly man they can look up to. This happened when my wife and I were newly married. We had two very small children at that time. And since they were small children, we invested some time. We, we were serving in the little kid ministry. And it was one Sunday. I remember my wife had taught the lesson and then the lesson's over. We still have some time to kill before the kids get released and the parents start picking them up. So I just grabbed a book and I said, okay, kids, we're going we're gonna to read a, a story. And I sat down on the ground and immediately... 25 kids were crisscross applesauce and just had my, their focused attention on me. I was like, that's wild. Why were they so eager to hear what I had to say? And it occurred to me because it was a novelty to have a man that would sit in there, sit down on the floor with them and read a book to them. It was truly amazing. I, I can guarantee I was more blessed that day than any of those kids were. You know, maybe you don't have small kids anymore, but you want small kids. I know a place where we have small kids. They're downstairs right now. (laughs) They're in in kids' church, and there's some more over in in the in the nursery, and we need some godly men that are willing to invest their time in children. So I want to challenge you, men. Are you investing your lives into people? Here's question number three for us this morning. Question number three: where do you focus your attention? Where do you focus your attention? Read what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So earlier Jesus was having a, a, an illustration using a heart uh, exam. But now he's giving us an eye exam. This is just another sermon illustration that Jesus is using. He wants us to know that the eye is the gateway that shows really what's going on with our heart. He's saying that our body is like the house and our eyes are like the windows that lets the light in. So if you have a healthy eye, you're going to have clear vision. You're going to see with clarity. Some people never realize what this life is truly about. They only see the material. They only see possessions. They only see stuff. And they they miss the spiritual. We need to know that these things that we go after, it has an impact on our affections. It has an impact on our heart. It really consumes what our mind will think about. You see, Jesus wants you to know the good eyes. They see God is infinitely more valuable than money or stuff. Because when your eye is good, you see God is the supreme uh, value that you can have in this earth. Read what John said about this in 1 John 2, verse 16. He said, For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John says this desire of the eyes, he's not talking about anything sexual here. He's talking for this desire for stuff. I know every time my wife and I, we go to Sam's Club or Costco, we grab that big old basket and my wife has a detailed list of all the stuff we're going to get. And as we push that basket up and down those aisles, strangely, stuff just starts flying in the basket that was never on the list. Why? Because I saw it, I wanted it, and guess what? We're about to get it. Because I have this desire for eyes I know you do it too Don't be pointing your fingers at me Here's a good test to see how you're doing When it comes to this desire of the eyes Do you see somebody that has something You don't have and you want it Can you rejoice for them Or do you covet them Do you, do you get angry to them How about if it's a friend of yours That friend of yours they have something That, that you want you, you don't have it Can you rejoice for them or not Hopefully you pass that eye exam. Here's the fourth and last question for us this morning. Question number 4. Whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? Look what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Jesus says, "No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." I want you to know that no one can serve both God and money. Maybe your translation says "mamum." That's, that's Arabic for wealth, stuff, property. We all, every single one of us, we're going ser- to serve someone or something. John Calvin famously said, he said, our hearts are idol-making factories. That is so true. We will find something to worship at the drop of a hat. Sadly, it's, it's rarely God. We're trying to make this factory and we're, we're worshiping that thing because Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he's, Jesus is speaking about slavery. You can't have two slave masters. One has to win. One has to have absolute power. So when it comes to you, who has absolute power? Is it God or is it money? Whatever owns you, that is what you will serve. There was a theologian by the name of Ulrich Zingling. I can hardly, I've said that that last name 40 times. I can't get his name right. But whoever this guy was, he said, if you possess something that you're not willing to part with, then you don't possess it. It possesses you. Because money competes with God for our hearts. And God he's a jealous God He doesn't want to compete for our hearts Because we're rightfully his If you're a believer he's bought you with the price And the price is the blood of his son He should not have to compete for your heart but Yet we're still sinners so he does God is a jealous God He doesn't want to compete for our hearts In the Old Testament God uh, told a man by the name of Hosea To marry a gal named Gomer She was a prostitute she was going to be unfaithful to him and through that relationship, God put on display his love and his faithfulness to a nation through Hosea and his pursuit for Gomer. And again, if you're a believer, you're bought with a price. The point is we, we can't be obsessed with the world and materialism and at the same time be deeply in love with God. It's one or the other. That's what Jesus said. You can't be going after and devoted to, to God at the same time devoted with, to money. In 1987, there was a commuter plane that was flying from Portland, Maine, down to Boston. And the pilot was a man by the name of Henry Dempsey. During the flight, he heard an unusual noise coming from the rear of the plane, so he turned the controls over to his co-pilot, and he went to the back to see what was going on, what made the noise. Right when he reached the tail section of the plane, the plane had an air pocket, and the. plane bounced with some terrible turbulence and he was thrown against the door of the plane only to discover the the noise was the door was improperly latched so when he hit it the door flew open and immediately a red light came at the co-pilot the, at the the cockpit and the co-pilot immediately thought that the the pilot was sucked out so he radioed the nearest uh, Airport to to request an emergency landing. He also requested that a helicopter be dispatched to try to find the pilot after the plane landed the ground crew found Dempsey Holding on to the rear ladder door uh, of the aircraft Somehow as he was sucked out. He was he managed to grab onto ladder ladder He caught it and he hold on to that ladder for 10 minutes at 4,000 feet elevation going 200 miles per hour and news reports said that it took the ground crew several minutes to pry the fingers loose of Dempsey from that, from that ladder. My question to you is, what are you holding on to like that? Are you holding on to stuff? Or are you holding on to Christ like that? Because we have to hold loosely to the things of this world. At the same time, hold tight to Christ. Have you ever heard the story of a missionary by the name of David Livingston? He was one of the first missionaries to go to Africa and preach the gospel. He poured his life out sharing the gospel to those that he was... He served in Africa for several decades, but eventually he came sick and he died serving in Africa. Before his body was shipped back to England for burial, the natives did something they wanted to tribute or commend this, this man for all that he did for them. And you know what they did? They cut his heart out. And then they said, his body might belong to England, but his heart belongs to Africa. My question to you is, if you died today, where would they bury your heart? We've been talking about money today, but really, where is your heart? Because it needs to belong to Jesus. And I say that because he died for you. The stripes that he took, they should have been for me. It should have been for you. When he hung on that cross, it should have been me. It should have been you. And Jesus gave his life. Why? Because you and I were sinners. Our sin, it separates us from a holy, perfect God, and yet Christ came on a rescue mission to pay for our sins. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Have you ever called on Christ to save you? Have you ever recognized your sinfulness, how you're separated from a holy God, but yet He did everything to win you back? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Because He'll save you in a moment. For most people, it's through a prayer where you recognize your sinfulness, you turn from your sin, and turn to Christ's perfection. If you've never done that, i have encouraged you to do that now. To say, dear God, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you, but you love me so much, you died in my place for what I've done. I give you my life, save me. And I say this name of Jesus Christ, amen.